we're in this series called Decisions, Decisions, leaning into the biblical wisdom of the Bible. And this wisdom helps us make choices, choices that are wise and choices that are consistent with who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. We're going to be obviously in the book of Proverbs because that's where this series has been uh, coming out of. Uh, but we're going to pivot to a New Testament book of wisdom. And it's the book of James. If there is a book of wisdom in the New Testament comparable to Proverbs, it is this epistle that comes to us from James. And so we'll be in James chapter 3. We'll be in Proverbs 18. Uh, and, and if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can pull that up and you can click on events and uh, it'll locate our event that's happening right now. And you can click on that and there are some notes that may help you uh, with this teaching. And maybe that's something that you want to save and you want to reference later. So I wanted you to be aware of that. Do you know what a troll is? Like, not the mythical creatures from fairy tales, but these creatures that live online and they like to disrupt uh, what may otherwise be civic discourse on a tweet thread or on a social media post or on a, on a blog. Um, trolling is now a new term in our, uh, in our you know, our re regular <laughs> lexicon, uh, this, this idea of someone who's a troll. And uh, we have a definition of it. it. It refers to people on social media who intentionally try to instigate conflict, hostility, or arguments in an online social, social community. So what trolls do is they often use inflammatory speech or messages, and really the goal is to provoke some kind of emotional response from somebody on the tweet thread or on the post. And what the troll says doesn't necessarily have to be true. Uh, it's just something that makes other people angry and gets people all worked up over all kinds of different things on social media. So <clears throat> I got trolled not too long ago. So I posted something out there on the, the interweb, and uh, it was something about, I can't remember the particular issue, but something about you know, who the people of God should be in response to the refugee crisis, or who the people of God should be in response to racism, or, or, or some issue like that. And someone didn't agree with what I had to say, and they began to troll my post. They began to post things that were just intentionally inflammatory, and obviously they weren't true. And, and I don't think, I, I personally didn't think the Bible agreed with anything that they were saying. But, but here was this troll putting all kinds of things on my, on my uh, social media post. And what I've generally learned is, is, you know, if you give a monkey enough rope, they're eventually going to hang themselves. And so, you know, I usually don't respond to that kind of stuff and, and just let, let a lot of that stuff go. Um, certainly don't want to give any more air to a, a, a raging fire. And so I just ignored this troll that was doing all kinds of stuff. And also, like, some of you, some of you on social media come to my defense. Like, I got heavies out there that take care of all my dirty work. So uh, I appreciate you guys. Um, but, but, yeah, I wasn't going to give any more air to that fire. And um, I just thought I'm just going to ignore this, this troll. Well, uh, Lauren and I had a friend get married, and we were making plans to go to the wedding. And the thing about this person that was trolling my social media is I actually knew them. It wasn't like they were this random person just kind of living out there in, in the nebulous of the interweb. Uh, I actually knew who they were. And, uh, 
we actually had this mutual friend, this mutual friend who was getting married, and I learned that they were going to be at the wedding. And so I was like, great, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in, in this, you know, wedding chapel, and I'm going to have to be there for the service, and then the reception, and there's going to be this awkward exchange where we see each other, and, and um, he's going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit because of what a jerk he was on my social media. And, and you know, so I was just kind of dreading that whole exchange. But I was like, you know, I, I don't know if this is the most pastoral thing. I'm just going to ignore him. Like, I, I don't have to talk to him. I don't have to interact with him. There's plenty of other people at that wedding that I can talk to. So that was sort of my plan. But would you, would you know that this wedding party decided to do a signed seating at the reception. And I don't know how it worked out, but guess who was assigned to my table? This person that had trolled my social media and that was really rude and really unkind. And here they were sitting at my table. And I, I, I want to tell you about that, that um, hour and a half or so at the reception with this person face to face face-to-face, they were a completely different person. Like they had all of these like biting, negative, uh, inflammatory things to say like behind the screen, behind the, behind the megapixels, there was a lot of bark. But face-to-face, there was no bite. We sat down like regular human beings and we had wedding cake and peanuts and little mints and and all kinds of things you normally have at wedding receptions. And we talked about our family, and we talked about our career, and we talked about sports. And I don't think there's anything else more important to talk about than those three things. Like, what else is there to talk about in those settings with people that you only see at wedding receptions? But we went through all the things that normal people talk about, and we didn't hate each other, we weren't ugly to each other, and we just kind of acted like human beings. And... I tell you that story to say that the Bible has a lot to say about the things we say. The Bible has a lot to say about our words and about our speech. And I don't think the writers of Scripture could have envisioned the way we curate our digital footprint and the things we say not only verbally but virtually. But although they didn't envision it, what they actually say is very applicable What Proverbs says, what the book of James is going to say is very applicable to not only the words we say face-to-face, but the words we speak virtually in online environments. So James calls us to tame the tongue, but also in this day and age, we're called to tame the tweet as well. We're called to tame the things that we say in these online environments. And why is this important for us? Because... As you go to the wisdom literature, I actually counted 41 verses in the book of Proverbs. There's, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, but 41 verses specifically mentioned what we say and how we use our words. There were Proverbs about gossip, about wise speech, foolish speech, righteous speech, wicked speech, controlled speech, slander, hurtful speech, having the wisdom to keep silent. A lot of Proverbs says, hey, know when to, you know, put a sock in it. Which, by the way, is the right response like nine out of ten times in some kind of conflict. 
knowing when to be quiet is something the Bible advises us to do very often. But here's the one proverb that just sums it all up. 41 verses. Proverbs is obviously wanting us to see something about the the power of our speech and our tongue. And this is the one verse that sums it all up. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat of its fruit. There is power in the things you say. There's a certain amount of power in the things you put online. There's power in what we say. There's power for life, and there is the power for death. Um, my grandma told me several things that have proven to be true. One of the things that she said is, Mark, think before you speak. Think. Think before you speak. And then she also said, if you can't think of anything nice to say, finish it for me. Don't say anything at all. Yes. Like these are grandma sayings, and they're true. But I think the issue goes much deeper than this wisdom that, that our grandmothers want to impart to us. I think what Proverbs is getting after, and, and honestly what your grandmother's getting after as well, is the formation of your character. Like the, the Proverbs is specifically wanting us to think about the way we talk and the words that we use so that our character might be formed in such a way that is consistent with who Jesus is and who we're called to be. And so the question Proverbs is asking us, the question we're asking this morning is, are your words, both verbal and virtual, consistent with who you're called to be as a follower of Jesus? As we think about the formation of our character, are the words that we say, the things that we bring into existence when we write them online or when we when we take them from when we take them from electrical impulses in our brain that communicate a certain emotion and feeling that we have and we put them into megapixel form on the interweb i like saying interweb i know it's not called that but i like saying it when we do that is it consistent with who we're called to be as a follower of Jesus? And so I want to read to you what James has to say. This is the question James is asking us. Now, this James that wrote this book in our New Testament is not the James of Peter, James, and John. Like this triad shows up a few times in the Gospels. This is like Jesus' inner circle. Uh, James and John, they were sons of Zebedee. Um, it's not that James. I actually think he's more qualified to write a book of the New Testament. It's James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, so, so Jesus had younger brothers. This is Mary and Joseph's other son. And they had, they had a few more. But, but can you imagine, like, I think the fact that James was a follower of Jesus, Jesus' brother, I think the fact that he was all in, that he was totally sold out to what Jesus was about, I think it just confirms everything that we know about Jesus. Because I love my brother. He's awesome. If, you've, if you haven't met him, I hope you get to meet him one day. He's a great guy. But if he came to me and said, I'm the son of God, I'm the promised Messiah, I'd say, no, 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 no. I saw how you grew up. Yeah, I, I got stories about you nobody else has, okay? So sinless son of God, that ain't you. You're a good guy, but that ain't you. 
And what James is saying, this claim that Jesus makes to be the sinless Son of God, the Savior of the world, James says, yeah, yeah, actually he is. Yeah, he was mom's favorite. It's okay. I can live with that. So this is James, the brother of Jesus. But also think about this person who was raised by Mary and Joseph. Look at the picture of character that Joseph is in Matthew chapter 2. And the, the, the amazing person that Mary is, Luke chapter 1. Like, like these, these were his parents. Like, they know how to raise kids. They did it right. And so James is this person of wisdom. There's this episode in Acts 15 where there's this really difficult issue where the, the, the Jewish Christians are saying, what do we do with these Gentiles that are coming in? They're not like us. And this council of Jerusalem, they get together and they come up with this really amazing solution. It's very wise. And James was the architect of that. So here's this person with all of this wisdom. His character's been formed in a certain way. And this is what he's saying about our speech. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles, sea creatures are tamed, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James is really unpacking the power in our speech. He's really helping us to understand this, this intrinsic power that is, is to, that is po- in which it's possible to create life and to take life. And the consequences for having an uncontrolled tongue are, are great and disastrous. Now, there's something else our grandmother said, and I don't think it's true. I think the other things they said are true, but, but, but this thing about sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I love my grandmama, but that's not true. It's not true. Words hurt. Words cut. Words words hurt deeply. It's just not true. James gives us some analogies to help us understand why it's not true. Something as, as insignificant as the words that we verbalize. 
can have disastrous, disastrous results. Look at the bit and the bridle of a horse. You have this massive animal, hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and yet we control that animal with just a bit and a bridle. The direction of your life can take a turn towards good or it can take a turn towards evil based on words people in authority speak over you. It can create a certain reality. The rudder that controls a massive ship, a spark that ignites a great fire. Small things have huge consequences. The reason for this is actually right there in the creation story. So I want us to go back to Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, we see a God that out of love is going about this business of creating. And he looks at the earth and it's formless and it's void. and It's just this big ball of chaos. And God said, let there be light. First thing God does is he speaks and light appears. He speaks light into the darkness. And so he separates light from darkness. And then he says, let's separate the land from the sea. And he's speaking all throughout Genesis 1. It's this litany of, and God said, and God said, let vegetation grow on the land. And God said, let birds fill the sky. And God said, let fish swim in the sea. And God said, let animals live upon the earth and, and eat the vegetation. And, and God was speaking all of these worlds into existence. And so this first narrative of Scripture it teaches the people of God something very important, that words have the power to create unlimited realities. Words have this tremendous power to create unlimited realities. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, that's, that's God. Of course, God has that kind of power because, I mean, he's God. When he speaks, things happen. Worlds are created, but that's because he's, he's God. But what else does God create? And how does that affect the power that we have? Let's, let's continue on in the Genesis 1 narrative. We get down to verse 26. Then God said, there's that formula again. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are created in the image of God. We're endowed with certain abilities. We have a certain capacity to, to reflect God to the world. And the things that God has the ability to do, in some way we have the ability to do. We're self-aware, we're able to communicate, we're able to love, and we're able to reciprocate love. All of those things are evidence of us being created in the image of God. And along with that identity as beings created in the image of God is that our words have tremendous power. We have the power to create certain realities with our words. We can create Worlds, words, <laughs> we can create worlds that help or we can create worlds that harm. We can create worlds of unity or we can create worlds of dissension. We can create worlds of hope 
or we can create worlds of despair. We can create worlds of encouragement, or we can create a world where people are bullied. This is the power that we have. This is the power that we have. We have the power to create worlds. And so we should be careful with the worlds we create with our words. I want to tell you about Danny. Danny was a young man in my youth group in Alabama. And uh, Danny came to our youth group as a sophomore or a freshman. And, and uh, his parents didn't go to our church. But someone in our youth group saw Danny sitting by himself, saw that he was alone, and said, hey, we're having youth group tonight on Wednesday night. We want you to come. It's fun. We have a band. We play games. Our pastor gives this, this lesson, but, but you don't have to listen to that. You can just come and hang out. And there's going to be girls there. And so I don't know what he said or what he did to get Danny there on Wednesday night. But somehow Danny came into our youth group on, on Wednesday night and I remember when he walked in the door, he was greeted, he was welcomed. Somebody invited them, him to sit by them. And it was an experience that Danny had never had before in his life. He had never been welcomed into an environment like that before. And that's exactly what we try to do on Wednesday night here at our church. Pastor Aaron and his team and Pastor Diane and their team they, they are creating spaces in which, which kids that live in these, uh, these I, I, I drive by our schools in Bentonville and I just see these massive complexes and, 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 and I just think about all the different stories and all the different kids that are there. And one of the things we're doing on Wednesday night is we're saying, hey, come on, you belong here. You're not just a number here. You have a name, you have a face, you have friends, you have a place to connect. We want you here. And, and that's what we're trying to do on Wednesday night. When you, if you walk in our youth room, you're going to see a mural that, that Pastor Aaron had painted, and it says, you belong here. And it's not just something we put on the wall. It's who we are. It's what we do. And Danny walked into our youth group on a Wednesday night, and he felt like he belonged. Like for the first time in his life, he felt like he belonged. As I got to know Danny, I, I realized that he, he came from a verbally abusive home. He began to tell me about what his home life was like. And here's what I deduced from just getting to know Danny and, and learning a little bit of his story. His father and his mom, they didn't come to church. But, but what, I, what I picked up on is that everything wrong with Danny's father, every disappointment that Danny's father had, he projected onto his son. Because he would say something, he would say things to, to Danny like, hey, why don't you watch your weight? Or Danny, you need to take care of, your, of yourself better. Danny, why don't you exercise more? Hey, Danny, why didn't you make the team? Why don't you learn how to catch? Why don't you learn how to throw? Danny, why do you miss the ball? Why do you strike out? And Danny's, Danny's father, he projected all of this negative talk. He was creating this world for his son. And it was everything that, all the, all the disappointment, all the things wrong with his life was suddenly been projected onto his son. And, and I, and I want to give his father a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to say, I, I think what he was trying to do was saying, look, look, I came up rough, okay? And this is just how you come up. You, you, people say negative things to you. They're mean to you, but you got to toughen up. And so I want my kid to toughen up 
And I want him to rise to the occasion. And so I'm going to talk about his weight. I'm going to talk about the way he looks. I'm going to talk about how he didn't make the team. I'm going to let him know I'm disappointed in him. And I'm going to expect him to pull himself up, pull himself up by his bootstraps and be better. And I think that's how Danny's father went about the vocation of parenting. And I don't recommend it because he was creating a world. And it was a world that was destructive. And I came in one Thursday night, and uh, it was late. I, I had to go up to the church to get something. And I walk into the youth room, and I turn the light on. It's probably 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And Danny is asleep on our couch in the youth room. And I said, man, what are you doing here? He said, well, my dad and I got in a fight, and I just can't take it anymore. And he's always harping on me about this or my grades. Or, and I just, I had to leave. And he, he went to the only place where he ever felt like he belonged. It was the church. I said, Danny, I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry your dad's saying those things to you. But you can't stay here. You can't, you can't spend the night here. Um, and, and we had to work through a solution to help Danny out. Uh, and, and somewhere in that solution, he ended up at my house for a few nights. Um, wasn't, wasn't uncommon in those days. But Danny was in the shape that he was in because a certain world had been created for him. A certain world had been created in which he wasn't good enough, he wasn't athletic enough, he wasn't strong enough, he wasn't skinny enough. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was creating a world where he would not be able to thrive. And I want to say something to us who have the potential to speak life into young people. And specifically, there's some mom and moms and dads in the room. You need to know something about your relationship with your, with your son or your daughter. You are more influential in their life than TikTok. You are more influential in their life than YouTube. You are the single most influential person in their life. They will not admit that to you today. But it's true. You have tremendous influence in their life. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, people who have young people in, in your life or, or close to you. You also are a tremendous influence in the young people uh, around you. And so I want us to think, as, as the people of God, how are we influencing the young people uh, around us? Moms and dads, there's some things your kids need to hear from you regularly. If not every day, weekly, or regularly, in some kind of rhythm. Our, our, our young people need to hear things like this. Good job. You did really well with that. You are beautiful. You're handsome. You're smart. You're brave. You're creative. It's wonderful how you demonstrate kindness. It's wonderful how you demonstrate thoughtfulness. I loved how you were compassionate in that situation. And I know it's your chore to clean up the kitchen and to unload the dishwasher, but I just want to say thank you for helping. It takes a lot to keep this household running, and, and I appreciate what you did today. No matter what happens, you can always come to me. I believe in you. 
You can do it. I'll be there for you no matter what. You are unique. You are special. I'm glad that you're my daughter. I'm glad that you're my son. I appreciate you so much. And if you haven't said this lately, say it today. The day you were born was one of the happiest days of my life. I think about it all the time. I'm so proud of you. And every single day, I love you. Not because of anything you've done, but just simply because of who you are. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. What kind of world can we create for our young people if we use these words in their life? I want to venture off into to something that sometimes preachers meddle. You know, sometimes they preach, and then sometimes they meddle a little bit. So will you give me the license to meddle a little bit? You're like, well, what should I say here? You're going to do it anyway, so... Inevitably, uh, your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, they're involved in some kind of uh, extracurricular activity. They're on a team. They compete in band competitions. They do ballet. They do dance. They do math competitions. They do forensics. You know, we can't do any kind of enrichment activity and not make it a competitive event, okay? So, so, so your kid at some level is involved in some kind of, of competitive event. And it's, the ultimate goal is to enrich them in some particular kind of skill. And, and I wonder if, if we need to think about the way we respond to them when they, when they tell us about these things that they're doing. Because too, so often the number one question we ask them when they return from one of these things is, did you win? It's just a natural thing to ask, right? Like you had an objective, it was to win the math competition. You had an objective, it was to win the band competition. You had an object, objective, it was to win the cheer competition. And so they return and we say, did you win? And I wonder if we could ask a better question. Um, because what kind of world are we creating? We're creating a world that says all the practice that you put in, all the effort you went into to go to the band competition and to do this thing, all of that hinges on this, your answer to this question. Did you win? And if you did, great. If not, then you didn't achieve, achieve your objective. We created a world there, didn't we? We created an expectation. Now there's a better question that we sometimes ask. And it's better, but it's not best. So sometimes we ask, did you have fun? a better question, right? They come back from the band competition, or they come back from cheer, or they come back from baseball. Hey, did you have fun today? Pretty benign question, helpful question. But I also want to say something about the world we're creating. We're creating a world in which this enrichment thing you're doing, it all hinges on your personal enjoyment of it. If you had fun and if you were entertained, then it has achieved its purpose. But if you did not have fun and, oh, God forbid, at any point in this activity you were bored, we certainly don't want that to happen. Because we are beginning to understand our vocation as parents to keep our kids entertained. The last thing we want them to be is bored at any given point in their life. Did you have fun? 
Did, the, did, the, did this whole event and the people that participated in it, did they revolve around you in such a way that you had enjoyment and you had fun? So maybe fun isn't the end goal either. You're like, Pastor, you're taking all the fun out of this. Telling me my objective is not to win? You're telling me my objective is not to have fun? What in the, why in the world are we doing these things? Here's a better question to ask. Tell me about this event. Tell me about what happened. Tell me your highs. Tell me your, your lows. Because here's the world you're creating. You are creating a world for that child or for that student in which an adult, a person of influence and authority, is saying, I am deeply interested. I am deeply invested in the day that you just had. I, I want to know about your hard work. I want to know about your performance. I want to know what went well. I want to know what didn't go well. I want to know about your highs. I want to know about your lows. Tell me all about it because I'm here for you and I want to hear about it. And that'll open up a conversation. And at some point in the conversation, then you can ask this question, which is really what we're after. How did today make you a better person? How did today make you a better person? The call didn't go your way. How did you respond? How did that make you a better person? You didn't perform the way you practiced, and you're disappointed by that, but how did that make you a better person? Or you did exactly what you rehearsed and you performed it flawlessly, better than anyone else, and you received the highest score. But how does that make you a better person? How does that make you a better follower of Jesus? What kind of world are we creating? So our words have tremendous, tremendous power. So look at how James ends this, this section. He ends this section by, by underscoring just that. That with our words, we have the potential to praise and worship and glorify God, but we also have the power to curse and to tear down. And he's saying salt water from a salt water spring, you're not going to get fresh water. You're not going to go to the ocean and get water that you can drink. And so as our character is formed, as we become people that are in alignment with the, with the will and the character of Jesus, what's going to come out of us? is fresh water that's life-giving to those around us. And so here's the question I want to leave you with. How can my words and my influence contribute to the new creation that God is bringing about in Christ? Now, I'm not meddling now. I'm back to preaching. How can my words and my influence contribute to the new creation that God is bringing about in Christ? That's the power of your words. They, in some way, function with what God is doing to bring about a new creation. And God wants to use your influence. And he wants to use your speech. And he wants to use your words. How will you steward that power that you have to participate in what God is doing to bring about new creation? The worship team, they're going to come and they're going to close us out. We're going to close in worship, doing what we were created to do. But let me share the, the gospel of this text. Let me share the good news with you. How many of you have a story like Danny's? 
How many of you have the scars to prove that an influential person in your life, maybe it was your father, maybe it was your mother, your grandmother, your grandfather, how many of you have the scars this morning to prove that words have power to kill and destroy? And you're living with those scars today. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And is this. That God the Father is here today. God the Father is with us in this, in this place of worship. And he wants to say something to you. Here's what God the Father wants to say to you. He wants to say, good job. God the Father today is saying, you are beautiful. You are just, the, you are so beautiful. I created you just the way you are. You're so handsome. This is how I created you. God the Father is saying, you're smart. You're brave. You're creative. I love how you're, you're kind and thoughtful and how you demonstrate compassion. Thank you for helping others. You're so good at this way that I've gifted you. I believe in you. God the Father is saying, you can do it through my power at work within you. God the Father is saying, no matter what happens, you can always come to me. I'm here for you no matter what. God the Father is saying, you're unique. You're special. God the Father is saying, the day you were born was an amazing, beautiful day. And it's burned in my memory. And I'll remember it forever. God the Father is saying, I'm so proud of who you are becoming in Christ. And God the Father is saying, I love you. And he says that to us every day through what he has done in the giving of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He's here today. And he's speaking words of life into your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking life into us. Lord, I, I pray for the person here today, their heart is broken. Lord, they bear the scars of words of pain. Lord, I pray that you would heal them today. Lord, I pray that they would be reminded that, that you are present and that you are speaking words of life and affirmation and love. May we receive those today. May they heal our hurts. And may we know that you are with us. You're for us. And you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. Thank you for that reminder today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.